Welcome to the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast. My name is Katherine Young, Senior Vice President. Hosting with me is Molly May. Molly, how are you today? I am good, Miss Catherine. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here me on this too. sunny Saturday morning. It is. It's beautiful outside today. I've always said that uh, Mississippi has the best sunrises and sunsets, but I maybe be a little biased <laughs> from my home state. Um, but I am so excited to introduce our guest today. Um, she is a pioneer, a survivor in every sense of the word. Um, she single-handedly transformed an entire corporation, or started an entire corporation and transformed uh, the perception of women and the color pink. And so today I would like to introduce all of our listeners to Miss Nancy Brinker, the founder of the Susan G. Komen uh, Race for the Cure organization. Hi, Miss Nancy. How are you today? Oh, how are you? We're so honored to have you with us today. I'm just honored to be with you. Yes, ma'am. Now, now tell us, you're not actually in the studio today. You are calling in. Where are you calling us from? I'm calling in actually from Newport. Uh, I am uh, doing a small tour of uh, some of the cities in the Northeast to help with people I know. Uh, to help us who also live in Florida, to help us with the new Promise Fund uh, that I'm helping to start along with uh, many other social agencies in uh, South Florida to help with uh, breast and cervical uh, cancer care and uh, access to care and uh, early detection, screening, et cetera, and navigation. So well, you just don't um, stop. it's kind of a new model that I've created uh, that I feel is much more effective and efficient and standard fundraising because we use donor-advised funds. We use funds that are already given and uh, get people to help fund them that, that, are, that are very, very pressing in South Florida after the hurricanes and uh, the migration of many Puerto Ricans to the community as well as all the other cultural mix that we have and elderly people, all, many of whom are without care uh, and, and need to be navigated and uh, given social uh, impact sort of uh, uh, services. Well, that is so incredible and so very needed and uh, just a testament about um, not only your heart, but that you don't stop. There's never an end. <laughs> there is it. You oh, just... I decided to take the last 25 years of my life, if I'm lucky enough to have that much, a functional life <laughs> and really dedicate it to the uh, disparities uh, in the country because they're significant. And um, I'm very, very uh, also trying to find a more efficient way to deliver a philanthropic dollar to make it happen. And the way most people do it today with event fundraising, it's event fundraising is the most expensive money you can possibly use. It costs, you only get up now about 40 or 50% of the dollar uh, dedicated to the cause, and it's short term. And I'm trying to figure out some models uh, that can be uh, year long, that can be you know, sustainable over a long period of time uh, to help people and dependable sources of support. So this project, we're partnering with the Community Foundation, uh, where people have already given significant money into them, and then we're setting up a fund called the Promise Fund. Now, the Susan G. Coleman affiliate this year will hire uh, the navigators from the funds we will be giving them, uh, but it's a much more fi efficient model of fundraising that is currently done by most charities. 
Well, that's just wonderful. I um, I have been so blessed to have become a recent member of the Memphis Mid-South team here with Susan G. Komen, and it has been um, such an eye-opener um, with what it, what it takes to really put together um, and fundraise and get those fundraising dollars and uh, do what needs to be done here at uh, a much smaller level <laughs> than what yes. you are accomplishing. Well, it's very, very, very time-consuming. It's very um, labor-intense, and uh, sometimes uh, it's very, very dispiriting when the money runs out. And, and so I want to approach those two things. As I said, a more efficient way of giving where more of the dollar gets to the mission and a sustainable amount of money every year that you can look at. Because that's the only way we'll make progress. And then someday, if it all works, uh, we can get the government involved because it'll be a proven model. But I'm a little bit disruptive. You know, I never have uh, done same things over and over again because I don't think that's necessarily the way to succeed. Um, you know, you, you have to always find new ways to do things, particularly when you have a shift in population like we have in our country. And, um, and you know, some real serious demographic issues uh, when it comes to employment and other things. So we've got to face that in the, pro- the role of nonprofits really never was to sustain something for years and years and years, but to develop models that work, such as were developed at Komen almost 40 years ago that worked for a long time, but that are more people are having difficulty with because the, the scale and the sort of, uh, Issues in the economy have changed so much. I agree. And, and is that is that your initial motivation, especially for this specific project? Is just how different the world has become, our, our um, evolution to where our economy is now. And and not just that, but that there's so much competition. You know, we started Race to the Cure in 1982, and now everyone has a race to walk or run. And so that we always, I believe, you always have to be searching for new ways to fund and do things, so. I agree. Um, so I guess, so speaking of Rice for the Cure um, and being started uh, 40 years ago, um, I guess I wanted to talk to you about um, probably something you have talked about every day for the last 40 years, um, and that is about uh, Susie and why you started um, this organization and its mission as a whole. Yeah, she um, she was just simply best sister and my best friend. And um, you know, I was reading uh, uh, something in the paper the other day about a woman who had had a certain things out of circumstances. I had she adored her older sister. She died of a deadly disease, and she wasn't able to get over it. She was suffering so much, and the commentator or the advisor in the, the column said to her, "You know." Maybe what you should do is take all that mourning after a period of time and direct it into a way that your sister would have wanted you to because you are living. And she was saying how she felt guilty because she had lived so much longer than her sister did. And that's exactly where I am in my life. I've been so lucky in my life in so many ways and just have to try every day to honor the wishes of the person that, you know, she asked me to do this. Um... Um, in 1981, 1980, she asked me to do this and uh, to cure breast cancer. So I think about every day that and that was and has been my mission since then. 
even though I've also been lucky to serve in the government three times and do other things, but always with a mind that, always, a way to extend our work, expand our work, meet more people, make it happen. Uh, but she was an amazing young woman who was very charitable with what she had to give. She wasn't a wealthy woman. She was smart and lovely. She was always serving her community. Every single day she was doing something. And uh, she was just beautiful, smart, and very, very loving. And I still miss her every day. That doesn't change. I can't imagine um, losing a sibling uh, but not only just a sibling, but my best friends. And yeah. Um, yeah. the fact that you have given, you have given, it, they they say that all that a person can really leave is their legacy and that all I really, all the person really has is their name. And you have given life to Susie's name now 40 years later and millions of people across the globe know her name because you didn't in a way let her die and i think that that is so incredible yeah, and she was you know she was the star in the family she was so beautiful she was shy but beautiful my job always was to do whatever she told me to do because she, <laughs> she was nice to me you know what i mean and so you're absolutely right and i always believed her name needed to be in light somewhere because she was so so it, you know, fabulous. And um, even she was so nice that I was three and a half years younger, but she made, you know, she included me with her friends, you know, and that was really important. You were a young girl growing up in Peoria. Like she really never, I was never fashionable like she was, but she always tried to teach me the stuff they were talking about. And my job was to manage all of her boyfriends. She had hundreds <laughs> and I had none. I mean, I had very few, you know, but I learned how to manage everything for her. And it was a challenge sometimes because, you know, they'd get mad at me if she wasn't available. And um, we had a great life in Peoria growing up. Uh, but you're right. It, it gives you, uh, you know, he's not heavy. He's my brother. That saying, oh, that's how I feel every day, that I have to remember every day when I get up, I'm representing her and not just me. And you, um, I think I remember reading somewhere that, uh, not only, which is incredible that you took a color and you completely redefined it. You completely took the color pink that everyone now and like everybody in the entire world associates with breast cancer. And you did that simply because it was her favorite color, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, that's why, you know, I don't always agree with everything that the organization that carries her name does. I think there's a great wonderful woman now, the CEO, and doing a good job. But I don't agree with everything, and part of that is that I don't agree that we need to be, quote, more than. Pink has stood for something that all over the world that I've traveled, and I was, you know, ambassador for cancer to, uh, control to the WHO. I've worked in Africa. I've worked in India. I've worked everywhere all over the world. And let me tell you, when people see that pink ribbon, you don't have to be more than any. You just have to stand up to what it means. What it means is strong and powerful, and it gets people to really rally. So I don't like those more than the name. I love the events. I don't like the name. <laughs> I think Race for the Cure has been one of the most well-known sports names in the world. 
and it's come to mean what it is. And I always think you can embolden a brand rather than change it. Agree. 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 Yeah. Um, because it's just the, the Race for the Cure, you know, series was the largest, the best series. And I think when people try to rebrand stuff, then it takes away from what the original foundation the tradition. And, and the tradition and yeah. the mission was. So I I totally agree. And so that leads me to ask, what in your mind sets Coleman apart from other um, pink organizations, as we like to call them. What makes I, us so special? I think what makes it so special is that it is a story. Now, not that it's my story. It is every person's story. Each of us in this country and all over the world have lost someone we love to cancer. But let's face it, whether we, you know, it's breast, but mostly it's breast uh, and cervical still, I'm told, in most of the cancer centers in America, over 25% of the patients are still breast cancer patients. But I think because we have known cancer has been the disease we needed to conquer in our lifetime, those of us who are baby boomers and even those Gen Xers and millennials. The point is people know they're afraid of it. It's expensive. We need to find ways to um, figure out what's causing it, to prevent it. We need to conquer it. And so I think that's why, because you've got to give a story. That's why the Bible is still the largest selling book in the world, because of the stories. Because that's how we learn. We learn from other people's examples. We learn from stories. The stories, in a way, are much less threatening, and we can, and they touch the way we feel. And unless you're passionate about, passionate about something, you won't do it. It's that simple. You can be taught all day long about something, but, and you may know the facts. To act on it, you have to have that feeling and that story in your heart and your mind. Amazing. It is. Yes, I totally agree. And my passion for this um, goes beyond ideals. When I see women across our state who are suffering um, because right. of lack of access and, and that basic quality of care and fear, it just fuels my desire to ensure that no woman should die um, early or premature due to breast cancer when we can actually continue the fight and do more. I couldn't, you're, you're verbalizing exactly and saying it in exactly the right way. I don't think there's anybody, and by the way, you all have done a sensational job. It is not easy where you are to do the kind of work because you're so, it's so in your face. And you're absolutely right. Uh, and that's why we started this project in Florida because you can't, can't have a good community. You're not taking care of your citizens. And you can't live and just be living on a beach or a golf course. You've got to be part. You have to know that your community is healthy. Healthy communities take care of the people in them. So um, it isn't that we don't have the wealth in our country to care for people. It's that we haven't provided the access and the navigation. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing if we can prove out this model. Uh, to your point where, you know, we can fit the access with the care, I mean, sorry, the need with the, with the access needed. We're going to take a short break right now and tell you how you can support the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Affiliate. 
The Memphis Mid-South Mississippi affiliate of Susan G. Coleman provides needed breast cancer services to women throughout West Tennessee and Mississippi. Your donation can help save the life of women who do not have access to breast health care. Please take a moment and donate by visiting our website at www.colemanmemphismms.org. That's www.k-o-m-e-n-m-e-m-p-h-i-s-m-s.org. Thank you for your support. Welcome back. We are here talking to Miss Nancy Brinker, the founder of the Susan G. Komen organization and the sister of Susan G. Komen herself. Um, so we just finished talking about the importance of having access to um, health care in order to prevent um, this incredible incredibly terrible disease, um, which Miss um, Nancy made, said the nicest compliment. Um, she said uh, that we were doing uh, a great job and how hard it is in our area uh, to do what we do. And um, since joining the Susan G. Komen organization, I've seen firsthand and learned so much in my short time um, just how hard it can be to not only put um, together a race or to put together a fundraising effort and how meticulous and time consuming it can be. Um, and the hardest part is just rallying um, your community together to do that. And uh, the hardest part to do that um, is doing it in the South. Uh, being from Mississippi in the South and so deeply in the Bible Belt, we have a more difficult time uh, finding funding for big name supporters for our cause because of the misconceptions uh, that come with Susan G. Komen and Planned Parenthood, um, especially when our affiliate is only a 20 minute drive from the last remaining abortion operating facility in the state of Mississippi. Um, so even though um, I know, Miss Catherine knows, you know, everyone who's affiliated and has anything to do with our affiliate here in Mississippi and the Susan G. Komen organization uh, that know that we don't fund um, abortions when it comes to Planned Parenthood, but um, it is the number one problem that we run into, especially just on the street whenever we are speaking. So I guess I wanted to ask you if you were comfortable talking about um, that and what we can do as an affiliate in the Deep South um, to reach more people and help communicate this misconception. Well, I think that, yeah, that was an unfortunate time. It happened several years ago. Um, total miscommunication, not more than that, uh, when we started funding uh, the, that organization many, many, many years ago, actually I was chairman of the board at the time, it was in the late 80s, because they were able to uh, take care of low-resource women and had a real mission there to do that. Of course, our funds were always firewalled from the other side of what they, their mission is, so there was never a problem. And uh, the issues we had really had nothing to do with any of that. It had to do with uh, the way grants were being given, and uh, et cetera. But that's all over now. And it is. is. It takes a village to tackle the problems we're talking about, the disparities and the issues. We all have to work on them. And if we start with the mission and end with the mission, we won't ever have those kind of, of uh, issues because we're all working in the same way with, with, with big hearts to try to conquer the problems uh, that are just, you know, very, very vast. 
I agree. I think it's so, I think communication is key when it comes to, um, when it comes to just talking, especially here on the grassroots level. Um, it's just talking and just talking about it and um, starting with the mission and ending with the mission and making sure that our core values and our uh, morals are front and center and the reason why we do what we do and how we do it. Right, exactly. And um, you all have just done such an amazing job, and I know we'll continue to. It's really hard to do some of this, um, but, you know, it, 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 it doesn't happen in giant leaps. It happens in footsteps. Agreed. So um, that's the other thing to keep in mind, and it seems not to go fast enough sometimes. That's <laughs> the other part of our work that is, can be very frustrating and debilitating. But when you look back over a you know, tackling a major disease uh, such as we have at least made significant inroads in, um, you realize that how hard it is to, to do it and also how important it is to make sure that now that we have funded so much research and need to continue to do that, how important it is to get everything that we know in our toolbox to everyone. Agreed. Because until you can make sure that mo- people benefit from the research you're funding, you really haven't tackled the problem. I agree. The most important part of what we do is not only uh, looking for the research or uh, funding the research and having the events and having the races and raising the money, but the money has to go somewhere. And the money that we raise is ultimately for the women in our state. And that is who that's our target market. That's we care about the women of Mississippi, especially, you know, at in our affiliate. And that's what we want to communicate is that that is who we are working for, not only for the memory of Susie, but for the women that I see walking up and down the street every day in my hometown. Exactly. To do that requires money, funding and resources. And that's why the other area that I think is so important is collaboration. I'd love to see a lot of these cancer organizations collapse their egos and everything else and not really collapse them, but at least agree to collaborate in their funding, uh, cut their expenses dramatically, and many agree to fund the same things because we get a lot farther along if we, we can do that. We're spending an awful lot of money on marketing and differentiating and all that. And when I think that, you know, uh, collaborations work and, uh, get more done that way. I just look in reference to the, for example, the AIDS movement. You look at what they were able to do by, by collaborating uh, amongst themselves, not always peaceably sometimes, but still, you know, if you, if you can do that, you're, you're, it's two plus two equals five all the time. Especially when you have a common goal. Like if everyone right. just remembers and keeps in mind the end game. Right. How that you get there doesn't necessarily. Right. Start with the end in mind. Exactly. Um, so, so uh, Miss Catherine, did you want to tell Miss Nancy or, or talk about what we do here in Mississippi for our Mississippi women and men? Thank you, Molly, for asking that question. And I am uh, so excited that when, of course, Nancy founded the organization, she had uh, great ideas and thoughts. And one of the things is that the affiliates 
dedicate 75% of the dollars that they raise back into their community. And of course, community um, is so validly important that we are serving the people that we go to church with, that we see in the grocery stores. Um, so the money that we raise here in Mississippi is used to fund um, here and in also in Tennessee. So those 75%, um, we have been able to um, provide countless thousands of mammograms to women, clinical breast exams, um, treatment and support services. Um, but we know that there is much more needed access to care. Um, Mississippi is in the top 10 for late stage breast cancer death rates. And we also recognize that African-American women are dying much greater in Mississippi and in other parts of the states of Tennessee and other areas than any other nationality. So we are um, partnering and collaborating with our hospitals, our other um, organizations in order to address these needs on the front. So uh, to me, Coleman is more than just, um, you know, the research. We are community-based, community-driven by what's needed in our community and how we can provide those access um, to care. So um, that was, a, to me, a wonderful thing that um, Nancy did when she actually put that into place because many people and many organizations um, don't do what Coleman does. Right. And let's yeah. provide that real time support for women that are battling in their community. And we can say and we're proud to say that we are and we are one of the few organizations that provide these services to women in our community. Right. You do a do a great job and it again not easy um it's not easy so i i commend you so much and uh, molly i know you have a personal experience with breast cancer i have too yes and, i wanted to talk to you about that you, yeah can you can you share your experience well, uh with that because i know i cannot personally i i can kind of imagine because i watched my mom battle breast cancer and then i had my diagnosis and mastectomy at 19 um but my mother very fortunately uh did not pass away i cannot imagine um, watching my sister and best friend suffer and pass away and then starting an entire organization that just takes hold and just reaches so many people and then being afflicted by the disease as well. Um, so well, I guess I wanted to know your thoughts about that and your journey. Well, um, yeah, it was. I was scared to death. It was just a few years after her death, which was very, you know, she had metastatic disease practically from the beginning. And, um, and I had the same, I was diagnosed with at least the same kind of tumor, but obviously something was different, but the really different part is I was aggressively treated uh, by the same team of doctors that tried to save her life at MD Anderson. Wow. But, um, you know, we still don't have all the genes and the markers and everything, uh, though we, we have a number of genes we know are causative or at least make you more susceptible to yes, breast cancer. But it is, it was, it was, and still is frightening to me as a lot of people recur. I hope that I, you know, as I said, I'm trying so hard to live as long as I can to um, do what I can to make sure that we don't lose focus. Um, but um, it, 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 I don't think there's ever anything that's as scary as when you hear you have 
a diagnosis of a disease like breast cancer. I yes, don't care ma'am. how much you know. Scary. It's scary. Yeah, of course it is. Dealing with is, and you are so young. And uh, part of it, though, is, is dealing with the fear. And, you know, I would whip myself up into a major uh, state, literally, uh, you know, about a month before every testing period. I mean, it just was frantic over it. Um, and I still am never easy about going in and having blood testing. And I have some leftover things from chemotherapy, which fortunately they don't overtreat. They, and, uh, but some immune issues and people, that often happens when you get older and you had disease and treated with chemotherapy. And hopefully in the future, now with this Taylor X uh, program, and you know, literally say to women, you don't need this kind of treatment this long or whatever. There's a huge step forward. But again, my concern now is how do we get that to the most amount of people and make it accessible? So um, that's that's kind of the problem. And I, I hope I hope someday people won't even know what this disease was. Me too. You know, those diseases, people say. But you know, when you look at how long breast cancer has been with us. I look at, I was reading the book about John Adams, historical book about his life and how his 20-something-year-old daughter, Nabby, developed breast cancer and dies and painfully from it, uh, mostly because of the kind of treatment they gave her without any anesthesia, surgery. Oh. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine how that was. Um, and how terrible that was, and look where we are now. Now I just hope that we can all see the progress we dream about. And just keep going, too. Just keep moving forward. Oh, keep going. I'm proud of what you all are doing, and thank you for doing it, uh, not just in my sister's name, but thank you for doing it for all the women of the world. Yes, and ma'am. Uh, really, really important, and I've really enjoyed visiting with you today. We so appreciate it. Is there um, is there any last, is there something that you would want to leave our listeners with? Um, maybe something that you think would be incredibly important against for the fight or to get them involved? Well, yeah. Just remember that um, it's really important to understand this disease is not cured. The needs are not met, even though we've made tremendous progress. So when somebody calls you and a Susan Coleman volunteer or anybody calls you and asks you to help, that you know is a credible uh, organization working for this cause, just listen before you hang up. Because um, in order to get to the end of this important race, it's still going to take a lot of fuel and it's going to take a lot of understanding and a whole lot of translation of care and to finally, once and for all, address the disparities and figure out how we get through that so that the most amount of people can benefit from all this work we've done. I think that's a wonderful t- takeaway, don't you, Miss Catherine? Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Miss Nancy. We're so grateful so for your... I wish I were there to give you each a hug and thank you and tell you how much it means to me to talk to you today. We would love that. We are huggers. <laughs> we are uh, big huggers. Your generation is going to carry the ball over the line. And that's why I'm so thrilled to hear you all and talk to you. Well, thank, thank you so you. much, Miss Nancy. And for taking the time out of your super busy schedule to talk Always with us happy. today. Always happy. Yes, ma'am. Will you have a wonderful rest of your day and safe travels up and down the East Coast? 
Thank you so much. I got to go back to getting us some more money. Yes, yes. ma'am. <laughs> well, very much for everything you're doing and good luck. Thank, Thank you, Miss Nancy. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid South Mississippi Pink Podcast. For additional information to donate or support this podcast, visit our website at www.kompnphismms.org. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the D.L. Dykes Foundation, producers of Faith and Reason. 